you. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. I hope you have a Bible. If you do, we're going to be in Exodus 5 this morning and going to be turning over to Exodus 17 in just a little bit. We'll begin reading in Exodus 5 in just a few minutes as we uh, have our last installment of our uh, conversation uh, and series we've been doing called God Who. There are plenty more names for God, but uh, this will be the last stop for just a little while. And I think it'll be a, a good finale for our, um, our series over the last month. Um, before we get to that, though, a couple weeks ago, I was at a doctor's appointment, uh, and it was the first time um, I'd been to that particular location, and of course it was the new year, so um, you know uh, what that means when it's a new year and it's a new place, you get handed one of these great clipboards that have um, what everybody loves to see, which is just an endless array of uh, lines and boxes to check and information to give. Um, so about three pages front and back of something like this, what we call a new patient questionnaire, I asked him if I could have a copy and take with me because I had this sermon planned for the future and I think this works out great I went to the doctor just so I could have this story to tell actually because I don't go to the doctor um, and, and, unless it's for really important reasons so I decided to go and I just said which doctor should I go to this time um, so uh, and actually I had that appointment it was scheduled for last April um, but then last year caught on fire and then it was delayed till January so um, thankfully it wasn't life-threatening uh, but uh, uh, you know how last year was a little bit crazy so finally went to the doctor and my whole desire was to get one of these uh, pieces of paper so I could show it to the church um, but seriously but they give you the clipboard and they say hey could you fill this out and which this is exactly why I came I love filling out questionnaires so usually these sorts of forms are um, all about the same every once in a while you get to see a never before seen question and that's kind of exciting I guess uh, you know if, if it you know if you live for small things like I do, uh, but but y'all know how these things go. Um, there's all sorts of boxes to check, all sorts of lines to fill in, and I guess the gist of the uh, of this is to categorize each and every one of uh, of the patients and all of us uh, because of our medical history and all the information. It will help project kind of you know where we're going and what we kind of need to be treated for and what they need to be watchful for. Um, but but I don't know about y'all, but I always feel like. When I'm handing one of these and I'm filling this out, I feel like I'm just being reduced down to just a small card of information. It's like, well, they don't care about me. They just care about this stuff, you know, and it's who cares the person. It's just about the information. Um, they ask your name, your location, or where you live, your ethnicity, your medical history, you know, all that stuff. And, and when it's all said and done, we get put into a pool of hundreds of thousands of people that are either similar or dissimilar to us. And then, you know, our data gets sold off to all these people that then call us later on the phone or email us and say, hey, I heard that you had this problem. And I didn't tell them I had that problem. Somebody gave them that information. But this is not a sermon about big data that'll come later in the future, but uh, that's a big problem. <laughs> anyway, uh, it, it, but when you turn this clipboard in, you go from being a person you walked in as to being just this clipboard of information, uh, because that's really all that matters to the folks that are, you know, on the other side of the counter, and they're just doing paperwork, so they're just trying to get you filed in and get everything, you know, put in the computer, uh, and, and, and that's just about, that's how that stuff works, but it's kind of a reflection, and this might be a reach, but I really think this, this kind of helps with a bigger picture. It's kind of a reflection of a bigger problem that is at play in the world, I, I think. This isn't just about healthcare, but in other fields in life, we are categorized in all sorts of ways by all sorts of different fields and by this world. You know, I, I get super nervous, not just with uh, going to the doctor, but anytime that I'm applying for something or, you know, whether it's school or whether it's some sort of, you know, uh, not job in my case, but anytime I'm trying to apply for something or, you know, you're filling out an application or you get an email or a phone call and they say, hey, we're going to send that stuff back to you. Can you verify that all this is correct information? And I get really nervous 
whenever I get asked to verify that stuff because sometimes, you know, I don't, sometimes I don't know how to answer questions and I just kind of, you know, it's kind of like back in school whenever you didn't know the answer so you just kind of circled all of them hoping the right one would get scanned in. You know, I, y'all, I did that every once in a while. I didn't, I didn't think that was cheating. That was just, well, I'm just going to answer all of them and then usually that would get thrown out. But every once in a while, I get the Scantron back and say, well, hey, I got that one right even though I answered every one. But I started thinking something's not right. You know, what if I made something up? What if it comes back to be a bigger problem? You know, or, or you know, what if I, that was a really old, you know, thing that I filled out and now I don't know how to answer it based on, you know, what I'm going through now. Um, and, and, you know, I'm kind of backwards and kind of shy. So I'm too, sometimes I'm too shy to tell people, yeah, this is a problem or this needs to be changed. Um, and getting away from the medical field, you know, I've filled out so many surveys. And if you're, you're kind of from my age and my generation, I've filled out so many surveys and so many, you know, forms online and in person over the last 15 or 10, 15 years. One thing I've always worried about is, you know, online accounts. You know, I've been on the Internet since I was a teenager in the past 15 years. I, I created a lot of accounts and made a lot of things online. When I answered questions and I put information in that I, I didn't take serious when I set the things up, I, I, you know, made up names and made up all this information. And now, you know, if you go and Google my name, which I hope that you don't do, but if you go and Google my name, you might find stuff from 2010, 2005, early days of the Internet. You know, you might find stuff that, you know, goofy non-serious answers that, you know, I wrote about myself or I put in some sort of form that is now public for everyone to see. I don't know. I didn't check that to see if that was something I should bring up or not before I did this, but I'm just warning y'all, if you go on the internet and see something that from 15 years ago, you know, don't judge me for it now. Um, but, but speaking of which, when I made Facebook, when I made my Facebook back in 2007, that's a long time ago, uh, you know, almost half my life ago, when I made Facebook, I think you had to have a college, uh, you know, you had to be a college student to make, get access to it. So I think a bunch of people kind of just lied and said we were in college, or I don't know if we just said we went to Gaston because we took classes there. I don't know how that worked, but I got on Facebook before really most people were my age were on it. Um, and uh, up until recently, and this is fun. I hadn't touched my about me section on Facebook. Not that that really matters, but some people might, first thing you say, well, you know, who's this pastor before I go to his church? Let me check out his Facebook account. Let me read about, you know, what he wrote about himself, you know, and, and I hadn't updated my about me on Facebook in 15 years, you know, and that's again, not really a big deal, but I didn't, when I thought about this a couple weeks ago, I thought, I don't know what I wrote. I don't know if I want to go read what I wrote because I was 17 and kind of dumb and, and goofy and didn't really take things seriously. So I, I'm thankful that I never had the tendency to say or write things that could get me canceled or admitted. Um, at least I didn't do that stuff under my real name. Um, but all these years later, in seriousness, um, most of the stuff uh, that, you know, on, on that about me were pretty mild, uh, just super nerdy and obscure stuff that five people might would understand but I had to laugh when, and it's still there because I'm never going to move it, remove it now. But when you look at my political views on Facebook, it says this. I don't even know what that means. I know what that means, but why would I write that? Um, that's not funny to y'all, but, uh, you know, everybody either click conservative or liberal or Republican or Democrat or libertarian or whatever. And when I was 16, I thought, well, I'm just going to write what the Wookiee says. And, and of course, you know, that's what I would write when I was 16. If you, you know, Callie and, and some of y'all that know me from back then, of course, that's what I wrote. Um, and, and the inspiration for that, because I know all you really want to know, is there's a point in the first Star Wars movie where Chewbacca gets mad because he's losing at chess. 
and uh, they're playing hollow chess. Y'all know this from back in the, 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 from the 70s. Um, they, uh, he gets mad because R2 is beating them in chess, and then uh, Han Solo says you should let him win uh, because he might rip your arm, his, your arm out of your socket when you lose. So that was the inspiration for that. And now that you can read into that and try to figure out what that says about my politics. I don't think it says much. It's just something I thought was funny to say. But anyway, um, you know, I, I, who cares about people's about me sections on Facebook? But when I fill out these forms, sometimes it's who knows what you're going to write and who what, knows what you're going to say and who knows what all these years later um, you might find out about people. But when I'm filling out these forms on doctor uh, questionnaires and applications, I'm always thinking, do people really read this? Because, I mean, most people, you know, if you check out a 30-year-old pastor's, you know, about me, you know, what's his political views, and you see that, you think, well, this guy's crazy, and y'all can confirm that. But people that are actually interested in finding information out might not be comfortable with that being, uh, being the representation of someone's views. But I digress. Um, one time, you know, I, I really, uh, when I was at the doctor, I w- wondered if they read what I wrote, because I had wrote down that I was allergic to some information, to, to medicine and to some things. And uh, I got a shot. Um, it turned out to be a cortisone shot, so no worries. I got a shot, though, and then mom asked me later, she's like, what kind of shot did they give you? And I didn't ask them, because I just assumed they wouldn't put anything in me that would kill me, which is probably a bad thing to assume uh, when you have a hundred allergies like I do. Um, So I didn't ask them, and then I felt like my throat was closing up, and I had to pull over and find the paper that they gave me and read it, and it said cortisone shot on there, and I thought, okay, no worries. Um, But uh, I I hope, hopefully, that they read the application prior to, and they saw that I was allergic to everything, and they wouldn't give me anything. But why would a dermatologist give me something that would kill me? I don't know. So anyway, I I worry about that stuff, but thankfully, they read my application. Um, And uh, as I was planning for today's message, which I promise this all pertains to, um, this got me thinking about how we have been raised in a world where we have all been reduced to checkboxes and lines on applications and forms and surveys. We have been raised in a world, and if you're like me and you're from my generation, our entire life, if you break down all that, that, is, that makes us up, it's almost as if we have just been all reduced to categories. That everything about us is divided up into these little bits of information, and it's almost like there's, it really doesn't matter who we are, it just matters what all this is to know about us and all these little information that people ask about, you know, whether it's healthcare, education, applications for jobs. We've been programmed to see ourselves as lines on a spreadsheet. Of the billions of people on the planet, we're all just lines of data. We're split up a hundred different ways categorically. And y'all fill out enough of these things. You know, they ask you your gender and your age, your ethnicity or race, your marital status, your education, your employment, your religion. They ask you what records you have, you know, and, you know, I wonder, is this legally or is this medically? You know, and I start writing stuff down. I don't have a lot of either, but, you know. Um, But uh, all the surveys have all these, and and, and most of them have some of these at least. And and there's many more ways that we get sliced up and diced up by our world. Uh, and, And I can't help but think that this has something to do with how we see ourselves. I can't help but think that this has something to do with how we see ourselves and how we see others. Because we've been trained to reduce ourselves down to these lines of information. And we've been trained to size people up and see people, not for who they are, not for the stories they have to tell, but for these boxes and lines that we get information from them about. It's almost like we are prone and we're so quick to reduce, to categorize, and we define people based on this information. You say, well, that's what, it, you know, that's what makes them up, so that's how I define them. But 
I have to think that there is some connection in our filling out of all these forms and of categorizing ourselves and seeing the world through these lens. And I have to think that that somehow impacted that we've accepted who we are and we define who others are based on the wrong things. We see ourselves as a combination of ideas and numbers and types and categories, and I can't help but think this hasn't had a positive effect on any of us. We go beyond these labels. We see each other based on how much somebody's worth. We, we look at someone, and we see their car, and we see their clothes, and we see what kind of house they live in, and we say, well, they're worth this much, and that makes us think something different about them, doesn't it? We find out how someone votes, and we, you, know, you can love someone, but then you realize they vote differently than you, and then you don't love them at all, right? You find out someone's into something that you're into, and you might think you could be a friend. You find out somebody's interested in some stuff that's just weird, and you think, I don't know if I really want to have anything to do with them. And in our world today, you know, advocacy is a big thing. You know, do you speak up for this, or do you, are you silent on this? And it's almost like, well, if you don't take a side, if you don't take a stand, then you know, I can't be your friend, or if you take a stand, I can't. We, we kind of have created these new categories, haven't we? It's like we're just walking clipboards with boxes either checked or not. And I got to ask, aren't we more than check marks and X's? Aren't we more than labels and categories? And of course I'm saying this, but if religion, and this is a whole other thing, if religion to you, you know, have you ever filled out a form and it says Christian other? I mean, what's the other mean? You know, I guess it's denomination and all that stuff. But if religion to you is, or your relationship with God, if it is just another one of these line items, then that explains why we've settled for these clipboards in the first place. Because if you believe in the one true God, if you believe in Yahweh, who is the God you can know, you know he's not, and you're not just a category in his kingdom, and he's not just a category, he's your creator. He's not a box to check. He's not a label to wear. He's your breath of life. He wants to know you, and he wants you to know that you're more than a list of categories. And whether or not you've given the right answer, the popular answer, the ideal answer, whether or not you fit into the right columns, none of that matters when it comes to knowing him. In fact, more importantly, none of it defines who you are to him and who you really are at all. See, I don't think this comes from a place of self-importance on my end, but I'm a storyteller. I love telling my story, and I love hearing your stories. And those stories can't be captured in bullet points. You're more than your GPA. You're more than your weight. You're more than your political affiliation. You're more than your net worth. You're more than all the things this world has told you define you. As we tell our stories, we realize they can't be captured in bullet points. When we tell our stories, we realize that it's more than just black and white letters. It's colors that need to be painted. See, this, this world wants to take away your texture. This world wants to take away your depth. The world wants to make, take away what makes you dynamic and fleshes you out, what makes you a person. This world wants to shrink you down to your territory. Where do you stand? Or, you know, what, what, what's, in the, what's around you and what can we pull from your person or from your appearance or from your data? The world wants to cause us to see ourselves like pro programming code. We're just zeros and ones on a spreadsheet. 
This has been our constant drift and trend throughout history. The trajectory of humanity has been of con- one of constant splintering and dividing and categorizing. And to what effect? We've diluted and marginalized our true identity. And this might come across as overreaching and overthinking on my end. But I think you'll agree that we've accepted a life where we are simply a sum of so many parts instead of people created in God's image. Of course, God never intended this, and God has never accepted this. In fact, the first two books of the Bible that we've been studying, Genesis and Exodus, are really all about breaking us out of the categories the world has put us in and finding our way back to the identity God has always intended us to have. And here's the the big overarching theme of the first two books of the Bible that really tell the whole story of the Bible. God wants to break you out of the category that says you're a slave of this world, you're a slave of sin, which is what Exodus is all about. God wants to break you out of this category that has checked this box. You're a slave. You are owned. You must march to the beat of this world. Sin controls you and sin will rule you. God says that category is not just, is not who you are. Your identity is son or daughter of God. I'm breaking you out of the category and I'm giving you an identity. If you pay attention to the patterns in the stories, it becomes clear that that's what God is doing. He reveals himself person after person and says, you're in a category, I'm putting you in a new identity. People that warped, had a warped understanding of God themselves and of each other. Remember Abraham, we looked at a couple weeks ago. Abraham was just another person in a sea of millions God took him away from that place in society. He changed his name. And he said, Abraham, I'm starting a brand new nation through you, and I'm going to show the world how to get truly blessed through your story. Hagar was uh, from oppression and injustice, and God promised to elevate her to a place of true purpose. Of course, Moses last week was another example of this. God took Moses out of this renowned position of power and demoted him to the desert, and it all comes together with Moses as God was going to use him to call the Hebrew people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and establish them as their own nation, to give them a new identity as the people of God, the children of God, stripping away what they had been taught and giving them a new baseline. Now let me say this because it's very important to navigating the Old and New Testaments, Old and New Covenants. And with all due respect and with firm support of God's purpose with and for Israel, the story of Exodus is not a story of one nation's superiority over the other. It's not, hey, let's get rid of Egypt and let's build up Israel. It's bigger than that. God didn't establish Israel as his chosen nation to shut out all other people. It was to do a work through Israel to reach all other people. That's the story of the Bible. God has a big plan for Israel even in the future, but his covenant and his invitation is with all people. Isaiah 49, 6 says that Israel is a light to the whole world, that the world might know who he is. The Gospels and Acts tells the story, for God so loved the world, he sends the disciples to the world. And Revelation says people from every tribe and tongue of the world are going to march into the kingdom of heaven. Now the first two books of the Bible really establish the redemption plan as a story about God freeing us from this worldly mentality not just pertaining to our nationality, but to any categories that we've been placed in and place ourselves in of this world. We've seen and heard God reveal himself by these personal names so far. 
El Roy, Yahweh Yaira, Yahweh Rapha, the God who sees, the God who hears, the God who provides, the God who heals and saves. All of these emphasize God's desire for us to step out of the boxes the world has put us in and ascend to a higher and purer brand of faith and of life. I think God's motive and desire is captured most clearly in Exodus 5 when, first, when we first hear these famous words from Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go. In this moment, God is saying to the Jews, you're my people. You've been trained to live like you're Egypt's people, but you're not Egypt's people anymore. You don't belong to this world. That means you think like the world and you look like the world and you do what the world says you should do, but I'm breaking you out of that. And I'm going to show you a better, higher, purer way to live. Now, would to God we would hear this being shouted from heaven every morning as we stare down our existence as if it's only in these verticals of the world, these categories the world's put us in. And I got to say, maybe the best part of this text is how forthright and honest Pharaoh is. As he is a mouthpiece for the devil, he's a mouthpiece for Satan, he is reluctant to let his people go from the burdens he has put on them, and he makes a very defiant remark to God that he's going to make it even harder on the people as, he, as God tries to let him go. So listen to this exchange between Moses and Pharaoh in Exodus 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, he, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, Let us go and sacrifice to God. Let more work be laid on the men that they may labor in it and let them not regard false words. So Satan makes it very clear, I am not going to let these people go. In fact, I'm going to make it even harder on them as they begin to entertain these ideas of being free. Pharaoh says he's never heard of the Lord. He knew very well who Yahweh was, though. His focus was to keep anybody from becoming too acquainted with him. Now, if you read through Exodus 14, you get the full story of how God uh, reveals himself to Egypt and how there's no doubt that the God of the Hebrews is greater than Pharaoh and greater than Egypt's God. We know the story. There are nine plagues, then there's Passover, and then there's the tenth and final plague. And Pharaoh says, get out. I've had enough. Pharaoh is temporarily disarmed and disabled. He tells Moses to take the people and leave. Of course, he knew the Hebrews would come to a dead end not too far into their journey. He knew that there was a natural mousetrap called the Red Sea that he could catch them and run over them with his armies. However, God meant business when it comes to getting the people out of Egypt. He called on Moses to raise up his staff and watch the waters part. And the scripture says they walked across the water or on the sea on dry ground as it was split in two. We talked last week as their immediate experience after they crossed over. God tested them, reminding them to keep your eyes on me and keep your eyes looking forward. Don't turn back. 
So I want to close our time today by looking at another challenge they encountered along the way where God further reiterates this new life they have received in this new way of life he was trying to show them. If you look over at Exodus 17, this is kind of the the, the moral of the story that we're going to read about. They may be out of Egypt, but Egypt would never be completely out of them. As in, they would always struggle with the mentality of Egypt, with the mentality of the world. They would always have a struggle seeing themselves as more than the way the world has taught them to see themselves, as just these different categories. They would have trouble seeing themselves as God sees them. The nature and notion for, to settle for less would always be within them. To settle for what's easy, for what this world is coaxing them into. When it comes to our new identity, our sense of belonging, it would be hard for them to see it and understand it and receive it. In Exodus 17, they come to a place where they're very thirsty, as we read about a couple weeks, a week ago. We find it once again, but this time there's no water at all anywhere to drink. The story goes in chapter 17 that all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord. And they camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? The people thirsted there for water and the people complained against Moses and said, why is it that you brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take your hand with your, with your rod with which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock and Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So here we have this, again, this theme of water, this theme of a well, or this time there is no well. Uh, And once again, we have a lesson on stability and security. God shows them that he was their rock and he was their source. They did not need to entertain the idea that God was not enough for them, even though this world will always whisper that in our ears. The constant push and pull, this world is constantly asking us questions, whether stuck to clipboards or through social media, through what's trending, through what the conversations we're joining or missing out. We are constantly faced with the question as we face ups and downs, tempted and tested, as we face the messy and the mundane. We're constantly faced with all sorts of uncertainty and all sorts of uh, what it comes down to the reality of where are we trusting? Where are we putting our faith? Where do we draw our strength from? And our response really is based on these few questions. What defines you and where do you find your meaning? See, some of us, if we're being honest, we're looking for it every day. We pick up our clipboard and we go back and forth on any of the boxes that we draw meaning from. If we're having a good day in many of those areas, we feel good about that pillar of our life. If we're having a bad day, we move on to another. But none of those categories are able to hold you up. And whenever you're in a dry and thirsty land, none of them are going to provide you what you're looking for. When it comes to measuring up to the culture's expectations, of who you are as a man, as a woman, as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a church member. There are so many different interpretations of what it means to measure up in those areas, but try as you might to measure up. 
to whatever image you choose to base your efforts on, you'll always fall short to somebody's expectations. We get in these games politically. We want to be on the winning side. (laughs) But let me say this as nice as I can. Neither side is winning, nor are they going to win. And you won't win, no matter what side that you try to take, because you won't find your belonging there. We've become arrogant and bitter, insecure and paranoid, no matter what road we go down in this life. That's the results of taking any road in this world to try to find meaning. This story reminds us that if we try to follow God while still thinking like this world has taught us to, we will never be satisfied. See, there's a lot of people that we're following the Lord, but we're still finding our meaning in these categories. And we're still basing our worth on how the world says we're doing. Which teaches us a very important lesson. God has the power to get us out of this world, as in save you and destine you for heaven. But while you remain in it, its influences will remain in us unless we daily, daily, and maybe hourly, but I just use daily to emphasize it's not a one-time thing, unless we daily repent and replace those thoughts and replace those expectations and replace those measures and replace those, you know, the way the world tells us to think, unless we daily repent, replace, and rest in God. The world will size you up and lord over you with its reduced and categorized and defined method every single day. And we must counter that with repentance, replacing those thoughts with God's word and resting in him and who he says we are. This world will rear you, it will wear you down, especially as you try to stand for and stand under God. Listen to the rest of this chapter pertaining to getting wearied. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose us some strong men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands on one on each side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under, the, under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, I think we can relate to this story. This is why even the strongest Christian needs the church community, because we all get tired. We all grow weary. We need each other. But this story is really about the connection between Israel's success and Moses' hands. It's kind of weird, but this is, there, there's a connection there. In a sense, Moses is reaching his hands up and holding on to God's throne, the true source of their power and strength. The name of God that Moses receives and learns from this experience, really explaining this experience, is Yahweh Nisi. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my brand. The Lord is my flag. The Lord is my identity. You see what's going on here? The message is the conflicts with and in this world are inevitable. God says, hey, there's, this war is not going to end. Back in Exodus 5, we hear the enemy make it very clear that he does not intend on letting up. 
This world is going to constantly try to reduce us down to a certain aspect of who we are or what we've done or what we've been through or what we're going through. But as Christians, we can ascend to a purer and higher and more secure dwelling place. As we face battle after battle with the world and within ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, have I lifted up my hands? Not only as an act of surrender, it's an exchange of strength from God's throne to us. When we lift up our hands, we are saying, God is my banner. We're pointing to his flag because it truly defines us, whose glory never fades and is never threatened. You see, all the categories that we find ourselves in, whether we revel in pride or we wish we could change something about ourselves, there is a unique gift in all of them. As a man, as a woman, you, can ha- you have unique and specific gifts that the other gender does not. But you'll only tap into that true potential if you see yourself through this banner first. You'll only understand the gift and the role of your career, of education, of government, our strength and our weaknesses if we see them through and under this banner first. We don't merely invoke the name of God to get better in these categories. We surrender to the power and purpose of God to see the blessing that's really available in them. If, 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 and only if we refuse to take them as our primary identity, only if we see them as secondary and tertiary and on down the list. This world has one law, mandated by its master, revealed through Pharaoh, but ever since has been working behind the scenes. The enemy of God has showed himself through different roles, and he works into this world today. He attempts to enslave us with categories. He attempts to tell you that you're only worth however this information is processed. He attempts to tell you that I'm going to define you by based on the information you can give me. And based on your performance, based on how you've done or what you haven't done, what you're able to do, based on how the world takes that and translates that, that is what defines you. But Jesus says, I've come to save you with a new identity. Listen to how Galatians wraps this up for us. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, under the ideals of this world. We were imprisoned until faith would be revealed. It says, now before faith came, now, but now that faith has come, we're no longer under this guardian. This, can, this, this is relate, relating to the world to the enslavement of this world, the bondage we are in in this world, the the things that lord over us and say, well, this is what defines you and that's what defines you and this is what matters or this is how we determine your success. But we don't have to be under those things anymore. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. See the difference? You are now a son and a daughter of God by faith in him. For as many of you have put on or has been baptized into Christ have put on Christ as in you've taken off something else you've said hey I'm gonna reduce these other identities these other things I've been taught matter more I'm gonna say hey I'm gonna put them down the list because what matters most is I have put on Christ And being a child of God and seeing myself through God's eyes and raising his flag, even if it means lowering somebody else's flag, that's where I'm going to find my true meaning and my true definition. Listen to how radical this next statement is. There is neither Jew nor Greek. I mean, listen, these people, love, these people were so proud to be from whatever part of the world they were from. We're no different, are we? 
And he's not saying that it doesn't, this, there's not an importance or not a significance. He's just saying this is not what matters most. Because in God's kingdom, there's not Jews or Greeks. There's not slaves or free or rich or poor. It's not even about male or female. It's about being in Christ. Now, I could add a few more things to that list, but I think you can fill the gaps in yourself, can't you? We are so worried about what category we fit in, what label we wear, and we find our worth through those things. And how that, how's that going for us? Not good, is it? But this hope that we have is we are all one in Christ Jesus. And the promise that God made to Abraham, if you're in Christ, then you are Abraham's offering, heirs according to the very promises that we've been reading about. They come to us. Above everything, you are a child of God, or you can be through Christ. Only in Him can you learn and understand what all this means and why it matters, because it does, who you are and the, the calling you've got on your life and the place He's put you in the world. All that matters, but it finds its meaning in Christ alone. We're more than categories. We are enough in Christ. Can we say this together? I'm more than categories. I listen, you can be proud of your categories or you can be ashamed of your categories, but listen, the pride does not define you and the shame does not reduce you. The shame does not condemn you just as much as the pride does not exalt you. You're more than those categories. You are enough in Christ and in Christ alone. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. But at the same time, sin has put a few items on our list that aren't wonderful at all, right? But through Christ, we can find redemption and healing from those setbacks. It comes back to these questions we asked earlier. What defines you? Where do you find your meaning? How do you fight your battles? The only answer that can save us, sustain us, is this confession. Only of Christ is our brand, banner, and flag. Can we break free? Can we break free from the bondage this world's put us in and find a better belonging in him? Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Moses said the battle's not won on the battle, on the, with swords down there in the valley. It's won when we lift up our hands. Now, what if we would lift our hands up today and surrender control, surrender identity to find our true self and our true power in Christ? We got to do this every day. You can, you can work as hard as you can work, and you should, to be the best man, the best woman, the best mom, the best dad, the best employee, the best, best citizen of your country, the best student, the best teacher. You can work as hard as you can on all those things. And you may ascend to something great, or you may crash to something discouraging. But the only thing that's going to truly give you peace and truly give you what matters most is finding your true identity in Christ. We cannot sell out to another brand. We cannot raise another person's flag. We don't live under another banner except for Yahweh Nisi. Call on his name. 
requires that we lift up our hands. Before we raise another person's flag, before we find our identity in something else, we call on his name and we take our hands off those things and we lift them up. We reach for his banner. So before you do anything, before you are who you are tomorrow, ask yourself, have you first reached for his banner? Are you flying his flag? Are you finding your identity in him? Because if you do that, he will pour out his power and he will show you the meaning and purpose of everything else. Remember, he said to Pharaoh, let my people go. God is calling out every day and saying to us, I'm trying to break you free from that stuff. Would we remember who we are? Would we remember whose we are and find this freedom and find this brand new life that comes, along, comes only in Christ? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this reminder who we are, whose we are. Lord, this world has stuck a lot of labels on us. It's put a lot of brands on us and a lot of banners over us. And to what end? To what gain? None at all. Lord, there's a lot of people here today, they see themselves as defined by the categories that they fit into and they're judging themselves based on how good they've done or how much they've accomplished, how they compare to other men or other women or how their political aspirations are going or how their net worth is piling up or how all these things are working out. We compare ourselves to each other and we say, this is what defines me. This is what means I've, su I've succeeded. This is what makes me an accomplished person. And all those things are always draining us. They're not filling us. They're not giving us anything. Lord, help us to only raise the banner, only raise the flag, only live under the brand that says Christian. We belong to God. We live through and in Him. Lord, I pray that everybody has found that true identity in Christ today. Lord, I pray that you might would break somebody out of some sort of bondage they're in this morning, some sort of rut they're in today. Help them to find their true meaning and their true purpose and their true worth and their true value in Christ. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.